Greetings, podcast listeners. Welcome to First Person Storyteller, the podcast platform that allows gamers and non-gamers alike to share their stories about how gaming has positively impacted their lives or the lives of people that they know and love. As as always, I'm your host, Scott Castro, and um, thank you again, as always, for for joining me uh, on the podcast today. Uh, Before I get into this week's episode, I want to get a a, a bit of house cleaning um, out of the way. Um, just as a preface, when I started this podcast, well, when I first launched this podcast back in October, um, I had a really, um, I I had been working on developing the podcast for about a month or two and, um, you know, developing the web presence and, um, you know, getting the equipment and figuring out how to use the audio editing software and things of that nature. But mostly what I was doing was, um, getting a back, a good backlog of interviews so that when I launched the podcast in October, I had about five or yeah, probably five or six episodes in the hopper. And the reason that I did that was, um, you know, in order to, um, you know, be able to schedule interviews for the podcast, um, throughout the coming months without worrying on a, you know, on a biweekly basis that I would have to, you know, rush for an interview to get an episode out. And I think that would have you know, ultimately produce an inferior product and not something that, um, I would have been, you know, a hundred percent proud of. Um, and, uh, I take pride in, in all the things that I do and I, and I try to do my best at, at any of my pers- pursuits, whether they be professional or recreational, like, like this podcast is. Um, so, so anyway, um, getting into the following months, I was able to do interviews and, and, you know, kind of put, put that episode at the back of the queue. Um, and, uh, getting into the holidays, it was a little harder to schedule interviews. And, um, as of late, um, I've had a little bit of a colder response rate, just, you know, cold streak, you know, usually when I reach out to people for the interview, uh, you know, I see their story online. I reach out to see if they are interested in doing, you know, a 30 to 45 minute interview for the podcast. You know, uh, my response rate is probably somewhere in between, um, most of the times around like 30 or 40%. Um, sometimes it's a bit higher, but in, in the months around the holidays and, and just following the holidays, I, um, you know, hit a, hit a bit of a cold patch, um, reaching out to, to people who I wouldn't ultimately hear back from. And, um, you know, that, that comes with the territory. I understand that it's a bit of a reach to, to, um, you know, reach out to somebody and, and, uh, ask that they share their story with a complete stranger over the internet to be published on a platform that, that they might not be familiar with. Um, but, uh, that's what makes me even more grateful for the, all of the guests that I've had on the show thus far for, um, you know, taking that chance with me. And, and I hope that I've, um, made a product that they, they can be proud of and share with their friends and family and, um, gamers and non-gamers, uh, in their lives. All of this is to say that um, this is something that I've thought about since since the beginning of the podcast, but I, I wasn't sure um, how it would ultimately play out. But but what I'm what I'm gonna do is um, I'm gonna adopt the uh, ever popular, well, becoming more increasingly popular seasonal format uh, for first person storyteller. Um, so what you have been listening to is is season one, and um, what I hope to do uh, is 
have this episode. This episode will represent the penultimate episode of First Person Storyteller Season 1. What I hope to do is be able to build up a backlog of interviews again throughout the summer and early fall and come back strong uh, in the fall of this year uh, with Season 2 and um, get a fresh fresh start for, for the podcast and um, you know be able to have another good backlog of interviews. Um, so that I can, you know, take the time, make the podcast, uh, you know, quality platform, and um, and bring you the best, the best stories, um, and uh, so, uh, like I said, this this episode will be the penultimate episode of season one of First Person Storyteller. I hope for it to be the penultimate. I I have, um, as I've diminished my backlog of interviews, I have one. Uh, interview that I am um, in the process of scheduling. I've been going back and forth uh, with the interviewee, um, though she lives in Australia, so um, just trying to get the schedule is a bit tough. We've been communicating uh, back and forth via Twitter, um, but I think um, her episode, when and if I can get her interview set up this week or next, um, will represent a really strong season finale of first-person storyteller, and I think something that will leave a lasting impression um, to uh, to hold you listeners over, hopefully, until um, the start of Season 2 in the fall of 2016. Um, again, I'm sure this is taking some of you by surprise. It's not, I mean, it's not nothing that I've talked about on the podcast before, but it's something that I've been considering, um, and I think it's best for me, and I think it's best for the platform. And uh, ultimately, I think it'll help me create the best uh, experience um, and and, uh, and and the best end result for the listener, um, as well as for me. I mean, this is something that I do on a recreational basis in my free time. I'm obviously not getting paid to do this. I don't have sponsorships or anything. Uh, this is just something that I like to do because um, I think there are great stories out there to be shared, and I'm happy to be the vehicle for that. Um, but, uh, you know, trying with, without the backlog of interviews, um, I would now be, you know, rushing to find, to schedule things on a biweekly basis to produce episodes that might be rushed. And, um, and that's, that's ultimately not what I want to do. So, uh, episode 11, uh, hopefully the penultimate episode of, um, first person storyteller season one. And uh, let's get into it then. Um, this episode, I interviewed Terry. Um, you can uh, you can see you can see the preview of the episode on the blog. But this one, this story, like a few of the stories that I've uh, that I've presented on First Person Storyteller, um, really hits home personally for me. As I shared in the first episode of the podcast when I shared my story. I talked about how um, I've lived my whole life with low, low vision and how um, the medium of gaming has kind of provided a level playing field for me and instilled a sense of self-confidence and self-worth in me at a, at a young age that still, you know, persists to this day, which is why, I, um, you know, I, I, I think that, I, uh, you know, keeps me... Um, keeps me going as a, as a gamer and uh, some you know that's something that's ingrained in me but Terry um, Terry is completely blind and um, 
he he lost his sight at the age of 10 and um, I'm gonna let him share all the details and, and, and tell the story in his own words but Terry before he lost his sight um, you know loved to play video games and uh, um, with his brother and uh, friends and um, you know to I, I, it's hard to put into words because it's hard to imagine what you know to put yourself in those shoes um, you know there's a lot of things that we as you know as humans take for granted you know we don't think about you know what life what, what life might be like if we lost our sight or if we lost our hearing or you know there's just things we walk around every day and we don't you know think about the, the things um, that we have um, that are um, you know uh, not necessarily permanent and um, for Terry to experience this and to be able to adapt and to be able um, and, and to set goals for himself and um, not only um, you know sustain the lifestyle that he had before but to thrive um, and to continue his, um, you know, his fondness for gaming, he set forth to, he set a goal for himself to complete uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which is a game that he played a bit before he lost his sight. Um, but after he um, lost his sight, he, he wanted to continue the game and, and to beat it. And um, he has a really unique setup. And obviously, his approach is uh, one of a kind, and uh, I think that's why his story has uh, permeated um, both gaming and non-gaming sites alike um, over the past month. Um, if you go, if you Google "blind gamer," Terry's story is litters the entire front page of, of Google, and um, just because so many publications have covered it, so I was really grateful that. Uh, he took the 30 to 45 minutes and, and talked to me for an interview, um, really beside myself. And I'm, I, you know, I say this for all my guests to come on, how grateful I am. But, um, you know, obviously because this one is a little bit more personal uh, and, and hits hits home to me, I was especially, um, you know, just uh, thankful to Terry. So without further ado, I'm going to um, get into the interview with, with me and Terry. Um, and uh, I, I hope to have you back in two weeks for um, what will be the season finale of season one of First Person Storyteller. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this episode of First Person Storyteller. I'm joined on the podcast today uh, by a man who uh, I, I have to say that that um, as somebody with a, a severe um, visual impairment, I, I really admire. Once when I heard his story, I, I knew that I had to get him on the podcast, and he was grateful enough to take the time. He's been doing interviews with. Um, some uh, some bigger gaming and non-gaming media outlets alike. So um, I was really appreciative for him to take the time to come on the podcast. Terry, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, Scott. And uh, it doesn't matter how big or small it is. It, it's always great to talk to somebody and get my story out there. 
I, yeah, I really appreciate it, man. And I, I think the I think the the listeners will uh, will really like this one. So, um, just to um, I guess we'll 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 get started with um, some of the questions that I that I like to la- ask all of my all of my guests, and then um, we'll kind of get into your 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 individual story. Um, the first thing I usually like to ask, I, I like to give the audience a sense of um, your background. You know. Um, what you do for fun, what you do for work, where where you live, where you grew up, you know, uh, stuff like that. Just you know, general non gaming stuff. Okay, well, uh, I live in Colorado. I was born and raised here. Uh, I was born country kid, actually. Um, lived on a dairy farm in Fort Lupton, Colorado, with, which is like north is north of Denver, the main city. Okay. Um, so I grew up farm kid doing chores and outdoorsy kind of stuff like that. Um, when I uh, lost my sight, I went to the deaf and blind school down in Carl Springs, lived down there for several years, which is a big city south of Denver. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Aurora, which is a town east of Denver, and I've been living here for about three years now for my career. Um, and I, I'm a twin, and I have an older brother. And both of them have very uh, good sight. I, they don't have the eye problems that I did. Okay. Um, so that's I basically lived in Colorado all my life, so I enjoyed everything that they have here. Great. What are, what are you doing in Aurora for work? So I'm a software engineer. Um, actually, when I graduated uh, from the Deaf and Blind School in Colorado Springs, I went to college down there as well to get a degree in mechanical engineering, and I was the first blind person to go through the program at that college for that degree, and I did it because I really loved to know how stuff worked and because I, I grew up playing with like Kinects and Legos and all those mechanical toys and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. So I just wanted to know how stuff worked. So I took that degree, but then I realized like in the latter half of it that's actually a very visual field. Mm-hmm. But I ended up uh, getting a job with a defense contractor and doing software engineering because I t- uh, self-taught myself code. Oh, wow. Yeah. Basically, mechanical engineering nowadays, you can't, you can't get away with the software bits, and software handles a lot of the hardware nowadays. So I, I wish I would have gone back and almost got a computer science degree. Right, but, yeah. But I have the software gig now, and I love it. I've been doing it for about three years. Fantastic, man. That's, that's really cool. And so you, so you mentioned um, uh, you, that you lost your sight at a, at a young age. Um, you were 10, I believe? Yep, ten is when I lost all my sight. Okay, so um, you so uh, that's kind of a unique predicament because uh, and just a lot of um, and, and as I told you before we started the interview, you know I've I've done some um, volunteer work and I uh, you know I've spent a lot of time with with children who have severe um, visual impairments and who are blind and usually it's they're usually blind from birth so it's you know somewhat of a unique situation to um lose your sight at a at a young age is that correct yeah definitely um i lost my sight at age uh, the left eye at five and the right eye at 10 but i still retain some memory of like colors and if i have a 3d object um described to me i can i know what that looks like right and like even with if if i know which way the sun is facing i know the shadows how shadows would fall and all that kind of stuff i could picture that in my "Quote unquote mind's eye." Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So. So. But yeah. What I was getting at is that you you do retain some of those some of those memories of of your sight. Oh, definitely. Like forest green. I know what that looks like, or right. or red of an apple, or stuff like that. I I have the pleasure of having that. Mm-hmm. And even a person like me doesn't know what it's like for a person who was born blind. That's I think that's totally unique and 
Yeah, absolutely. And interesting. Um, so did you, um, before you lost your sight when you were younger, um, did, did you game uh, before that? Yeah, we always had uh, video games. Even though I was a farm kid, we did have um, a video games. I grew up with the old um, NES system, and yeah. we had a Sega Genesis as well. So um, I liked playing many of those games, the old Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, so do you, do you remember some of the other games you liked to, that you remember playing when you were younger? Yeah, definitely the Mario series. Mario 3 was definitely the best, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Genesis, Sonic 3, and with the Sonic and Knuckles attachment, that was probably the best game on that system. Um, and I played the original uh, Zelda game on the NES. The, I had the gold cartridge and everything. It had the cool music and everything. Yep. Yeah, I remember and, that too. But I, I could not pass that game to save my life. I, I, I got like seven piece, Triforce pieces, and I found the final dungeon with the ominous message that says, you can't enter here without the full Triforce, and I just never could pass the game. So, you know, I, I, I love Zelda even from then. Yeah, absolutely. And I've actually, um, you know, as a, I remember that game being really challenging as a kid too. And I actually probably like four or five years ago, I went back and tried to play again. It's still really challenging. I mean, it's, you know... It, it, it was uh, so I can't imagine the hours yeah. that we must have put in as kids to try to to try to yeah. pass that. Well, unfortunately, that the sound in that game, it's I, I can't play it um, with my with being totally blind. But I went and read a walkthrough about how to pass it. And I'm like, that's all I had to do. Really? <laughs> I had to go to a pond and play a whistle, and that would have given me another dungeon. It's just it's, oh man, things you wouldn't have thought. I was like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so, um, so you said that your progression of your sight loss was was gradual. T- talk to me a little bit about um, how you adapted. I guess at first to losing sight in your one eye, and then uh, how you adapted to to losing sight in both eyes. Not just um, not not really uh, in a gaming uh, aspect yet, but really just outside of gaming. You know, getting around, going to school, things of that nature. So, be me, me a twin. So me and my twin brother were both born with cataracts. So okay. we started surgeries at like three months old. Okay. Um, his eyes turned out okay. He's got one lazy eye and has to take a mild glaucoma drops, but that's about it. Okay. I continue to have several problems like um, I had inflammation in the eyes. I had glaucoma. Um, I had a couple corneas cloud over, so they had to replace them. Uh, but the major thing was when I was five of my retina detached in the left eye oh wow and they fixed it but scar tissue took over that eye uh, uh, in about three months oh okay and the same thing happened to the right eye at age 10 retina detached and scar tissue took over actually three days mm-hmm. it was a much quicker process um they tried to remove the scar tissue a couple times but it just came right back mm. and um that's actually what left me blind is the eyes were full, full of scar tissue from the 22 eye surgeries that i had wow um Definitely a lot of hospital stays and um, anest- getting over anesthesia and, s- and support from my parents and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was right after I lost my sight. I, I remember the doctor saying, "Let's like, yeah, we've done all we can do," and I'm like, "Yes, no more surgeries." Wow. But, yeah, that'd yeah. be the opposite that you know <laughs> someone might think that. I mean, no more surgeries. That's great news, but like that, that you know, that's that's not. I'm sure that's not the uh, reaction that he was expecting. 
No, and of course, like I, that was how I felt then. But then, of course, I I did go through like bitterness and all this mm-hmm. of losing my sight entirely. And because just after that, I was I went down to the deaf and blind school mm-hmm. down in Colorado Springs, and that was away from my parents. It was basically like a dorm school, and yes. I would go home on yeah. the weekends. So, but luckily, I had the support from my parents and the great teachers at that school to help me out. Mm-hmm. So it took a few years, but I eventually came around and started doing started to figure out what could I do with my blindness uh, to uh, get back to where I was even when I before I lost it sure yeah and I there's a similar school to the Maryland school for the blind um, I, I grew up in Maryland and that's um, I spent some time there even with my um, low vision and, and and saw a lot of kids there who who didn't have any vision at all and I mean the the things that they were able um, you know that they were able to do I realized at the at the time it was insensitive, but I kept telling them that like I you know, I was so surprised like how the way they could navigate the way you know um, and yeah like I said it was a little probably uh, insensitive at the time, but I was young I really didn't know better. But um, I mean just the ability for people to adapt and to to move on and to realize like you know what what can they do from here. Right, and I still get that attitude from like everybody, even at work or in the store and something. But I just gotta remember, it's a lot of people think about it's like, well, if I was blind, this is how it would be, and I wouldn't have been able. I don't think I could do that. So it's great that he can. So I just try to remember that and try to remember that when people are saying that, I'm inspiring them. Yeah, absolutely. Just they may be just a little ignorant or just don't know, but there's no reason to get upset or anything. It's just letting them. If they're inspired by it, that's great. Yeah, and I mean, that's a super mature approach, obviously. Um, Yeah, and it took years to develop that. I wasn't always that way. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get that too. Um, Yeah, no, I I appreciate you sharing that with me. I'm sure, you know, that was obviously like a really difficult time in your life and and you were, um, you know, young, but coming into, you know, your adolescence, it's just, it's a tricky emotional time and then then to have that thrust upon you must have been, must have been difficult. Yes, it was. <laughs> I will. I won't deny it. <laughs> so, um, obviously, you had a lot of other concerns at the time. You know, you were you're going down to the um, the deaf and blind school down in Colorado Springs. Um, there was a lot of things I'm sure that were on your mind. Did it ever? Did it occur to you right away? Was it something that dawned upon you later? Thinking about, you know, am I ever going to be able to play games again? Well, um, I still tried to play a couple games. Uh, even when I went down to the deaf and blind school, they had a Super Nintendo in the dorm that we could play. And there, me and a couple other kids liked to play. And we would just pay the side scrollers like uh, Super Mario World or Donkey Kong sixty four. No, yeah, Donkey Kong, Super Donkey Kong. Yes, right. Yeah. And so we would try to play the and just like mash buttons and see what would happen. And that was kind of fun and entertaining, but it always nagged at me. It's like, you know what? I'm not really achieving anything because I'm just kind of doing the same thing, button mashing, but I'm not really succeeding. I died a lot. So, well, yeah. But it still fed my, um, my liking for games. And I even enjoyed uh, watching some of the visually impaired or sighted people play just as much mm-hmm. as I did playing them. So I would just sit there and just watch them and ask questions and just, just as get as much out of it as playing it. Oh, Even yeah. more since they could get further than me. Oh, absolutely! And so would they? Were, would they um, like describe the scenes to you? Describe you know what they were seeing on screen, things like that. I wouldn't go that far because 
that would take a lot for them to describe. Sure, Sometimes sure. they would describe a few things to me, but uh, for major things like that, it, it would have taken a lot of time yeah. for them to sit there and describe. So sure, sure. Um, so uh, when you so you talked about initially, you know how you were playing games down there and how how you were trying to adapt. Um, what were your thoughts at the time? Um, on the accessibility of games. Um, I know now it's a lot easier. Um, be- there are so many accessibility options available in games, and there's a lot more production goes into sound, which I'm sure is very helpful. Um, but at the time, you know, was that something that's frustrating to you that, that they weren't more accessible? Yeah, definitely. Like the old NES games in Sega Genesis, um, they they just didn't have the the sound that I really needed to be able to play, mm-hmm. especially a lot of the uh, side-schoolers that I liked. Right. Um, same with Super Nintendo. It was really during the 64 stage when they were producing, like, the 3D games, and then sound really became um, a big thing, I, I believe. Um, one, one guy put it, it's that when they started creating those games, mm-hmm. it was basically like the 3D polygon games, so the graphics weren't amazing. So they kind of focused more on the sound to make it an even, an even more immersible um, experience. Right. So it's almost like they focused more on sound, but then now, like today's games, they focus a lot on graphics. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, and sometimes the sounds can even be overcluttered, and I, I'm missing out on the sounds that are important. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's an interesting take. I didn't consider that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I hadn't really thought about it before, but the transition from um, the Super NES and Nintendo 64, when they, like you said, when they went into the 3D graphics, um, you know, they really had to get the directional sound right too, right? Because you had to hear something coming up behind you because there was that third dimension. Right, and there were actually a lot of people surprised that I could pass um, or play those games because they didn't think the sound was that good. They were they were just focusing on the graphics. They didn't even know that it was like stereo or surround sound enough to be able to tell where stuff was left, right, or behind you. Right. I mean, yeah, that's I guess something that um, is very easy to take for granted. Um, so let's talk a little bit um, about uh, your your quest to complete Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Um, so uh, my guess is that this the, um, that this game came out after you lost your sight. Yes. Okay, so how did you initially hear about the game? What inspired you to take on this quest to complete it? Well, it, it really started with the original Zelda because I, I played it all the time and loved it. Right. Um, but then after I lost my sight and went down to the deaf and blind school and everything, I had friends who were playing the Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I'm like, I know Zelda. But then I would listen to them play and I'm like, well, this is a lot more in depth than the one I used to play. Yeah, like the yeah. story actually had depth and width to it. It it seems like it was coming more to life than the original Zelda did. Right. So a lot of the a couple of times playing through the game, I would just listen to my friends play it. Mm-hmm. And one interesting fact is um, the '64 came out before I, I lost all my sight. Okay. And I, I I can't say that Ocarina of Time came out. After I lost my sight, and, I, and maybe I need to correct that statement. It says I never had an opportunity to see it. Okay, okay. So well, that, yeah, um, that's essentially what I was yeah. looking for. I think the game out came out in 1998. So wherever that yeah, was that's the year I lost. Line. Okay, but the, okay. the 60, the Super Mario 64, the initial release with the system, yeah. I did see. I did see that game, some parts of it. Oh, okay. 
so I kind of know what that 3D polygon world looks like and how like the camera might move and stuff like that. Interesting. Okay. I'm sure that was a big help. Oh, definitely. So that way, if someone describes like parts in Zelda or I can kind of tell by the sounds and objects in the room, I can start to put a picture together. Right. Okay. Um, so how did you, what, what made you decide to take on this challenge? You, you set out, uh, I mean, you, you made this your goal, right? That you wanted to complete uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, correct? Yeah. So that actually goes, it's a story that goes back to a game that my brother brought home for the PlayStation that my older brother had. It was a company called Oddworld Inhabitants. Ah, uh, yes. I remember yep. the Oddworld games. Yeah. And they had Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus. And mm-hmm. my brother brought home Odyssey. And he, um, I liked that game because it had a bunch of sounds and it was an action and puzzle and stuff. So I would try to play it, but I couldn't figure out what the sounds were. I just, I really couldn't piece it together. Right. Um, but Exodus came out, then next installment, with save state built into it. So I was able to, piece by piece, try to figure out the controls and where to go and everything. And Oddworld Exodus, I actually passed that game uh, 100% saved all 300 Budokens. Oh, wow. And um, sorry, uh, we, we, we do have, um, we, we have some people uh, who listen to the podcast who aren't necessarily like inherently gamers. So I just wanted you to explain the idea of what a save state is because they're, they're, I'm sure there oh, are people sure. listening who don't. And I know that comes into play later in your story to beat uh, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, so the reason the save state was so important, it's basically. Um, where you get to a point in a game and you want to save your progress like immediately. Right. Like saving a Word document at the same exact place. So you save and then you continue on and if you die or if you want to go back, you reload that save and right. it goes back to exactly where you were. And you can continue, you can make new save states over old ones and everything. So that way, I, I had a particularly difficult part, I can go back to a safe place and try and try again until I get past that part. Right, and there were in a lot of games before this, and even in still some games now. There are only sometimes there are only certain places where you can save the game. So there's not it's not always available to you to make an immediate save state and save over that. Right, and if the area between saves is too long, it just you get to the you get to a certain part and then you just keep dying because it takes you like ten minutes maybe to get to a part, and then you have to practice that. But you get one shot at it every time. Right. So it takes a long time to get there, and then you die, and then you get a long time to get there, and then you die. It's just it's not a very efficient way to learn. So that's yeah. why the save state's great. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for uh, spelling that out. Because yeah, like I said, I know that that becomes important uh, in your Ocarina of Time journey because uh, that did have save states you could save wherever you wanted. Right. Um, so with the Oddworld inhabitants, the later in. After I passed the game, I basically contacted the company and called them and said, Hey, um, I passed your game. I just wanted to let you know, thanks for making a great game. Thanks for having great audio with it and everything. So um, then I, they were so great with it, uh, thankful for it, that they actually made an interview and made a YouTube video and posted it on YouTube. Really? I, yeah. Um, that actually started the wave because they encouraged me to start doing my own YouTube videos. Along that same time, I actually found out that you could emulate the Nintendo 64 on the computer. Mm-hmm. So you could play the old cartridges basically on your computer. Right. An additional feature of the N64 was that it had called uh, the save state that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So the original games didn't have that. But the emulator on the computer did. 
So I was able to say my progress anywhere. And I started, didn't actually start playing through it until I actually got into college. And I actually played through Zelda Ocarina of Time once before I started doing my YouTube videos. But I still needed help with a couple parts. Mm-hmm. But after doing the Oddworld game, I wanted to set myself to do Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time all the way through with no help and post it on YouTube. So that's where that started. Yeah, and uh, if, I mean, it must have seemed at the time like a you know almost insurmountable challenge, but it's uh, very commendable that, that you, you took that challenge on. And obviously, it took some dedication. Um, we'll get into that a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your configuration because like you said you're you're emulating the um the n64 games on your computer um with save state but what what's your what's your setup like because i i've i've looked at some of your youtube videos and i'll post a link to some of them uh in the show notes so people can take a look at them um but you have like stereo speakers can you talk a little bit about your setup yeah so that actually is yet another story that goes back to and when i was at the deaf and blind school I found games that were designed for the blind. Um, one particular company called JMA Games mm-hmm. makes a, a game called Shades of Doom, which is based on the old Doom games. Oh. But um, it would use, so you're like a soldier in a military base and you got to shoot monsters and stuff like that and shut down an experiment. But it was based on 3D sound and using compass navigations to navigate the hallways. Okay. So it, it was kind of a game like that that kind of taught me how to listen in a 3D environment. Mm-hmm. So I just took that idea, and it's in that game, use two speakers on either side of you or a headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, like Zelda, I approach it in the way that it's just another one of those games that just happens to have video too. Right. So yeah. I knew when I wanted to uh, do the YouTube videos, um, I had someone help me set up in an external camera. That's the only part I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And then I just strapped speakers to an armchair <laughs> and that basically is what I listened to when I was playing the game. That way people can see me and see the game at the same time. Yeah, and, you, and your videos are very instructional. It's it's really cool to see you talk through the process about um, the one that I watched recently. Um, you were going through the Deku Tree, which is one of the, one of the first levels in, in – um, one of the first dungeons in Ocarina of Time, and you were explaining, okay, well, I know I have to, you know, I hear this sound over here, and I, I know that I have to jump two steps right, and I have to climb up this, um, you know, these vines, uh, and it's really cool how you're how you're able to explain your thought processes. So I, I know a lot of your viewers definitely appreciate that, and you have a lot of them. The last time I checked that uh, that particular video, it was up over a million views. Really, it broke a million. I haven't, I haven't checked. It was. It, it was in. It's close. I think it, it's close. Yeah, it was. It was in the the nine the nine eighties or nine nineties when I looked a few weeks ago. So I assumed that it it wasn't up over a million when I looked, but I just assumed okay. that with all of this uh, with all of this coverage that your story has been getting that that it had skyrocketed. So maybe you should go. Maybe you should go back and look after the interview. Okay. That might be a, a nice milestone for you. Yeah, and I know people like seeing me in my videos, but un- unfortunately. If you watch my later videos, um, there, if, you, and if you notice the dates, I actually took like a two-year break. And that's when I actually graduated, moved to Aurora, and started my new job and career and everything. But I didn't have someone to help me set up my camera anymore. Oh, okay. So um, I kind of got demotivated in getting it done. It's like, well, I, I'll just let, let that be. But people kept messaging me on YouTube. It's like, aren't you going to finish this game? And <laughs> 
after I got my Mac, um, it actually had a screen reader, a screen um, screen capture program that would work with the voiceover program. So um, I was able to do it again. I wasn't appearing in my videos, but I was able to do screen capture and then just do voiceover uh, uh, voice overlay on it. Okay. So that and that's how I uh, started up finishing out the game and finally got it done. <laughs> cool. And um, do you uh, do you have? Um, I know you were mentioning to me uh, before the interview that you have a, an application that will read the text for you that's on the screen. Um, and I've seen applications like that before. Will that read the uh, the text uh, in Ocarina of Time? No, it won't because okay. it's a video and overlay. That's, what I, that's actually, what I figured, yeah. What I, what I found out is actually there's someone out there who is crazy enough to write the whole entire script for Ocarina of Time down in like text file and put it on uh, the internet. <laughs> so I was able to find it, so I was able to read the story and what all the dialogue was. So I knew what was going on in the game. That's a great resource. and uh, I'm <laughs> I had no idea why they did it. It's just I found it. I'm like, oh, okay. But that, I mean, what a great tool for you to be able to use. Oh, definitely. Um, so Ocarina of Time is no easy quest for anyone. Talk, talk to me a little bit about some of the um, more challenging parts um, going through your, uh, your playthrough. It, yeah, and everybody expects me to say something about the water temple. <laughs> That's, That's what I was expecting. One part that was particularly hard as a ki- in the kid part of the game, mm-hmm. um, for those who don't know, you actually start as a kid in the game, you're, and then you start do that later half as an adult. Right. But um, there's a game in, in there where someone throws some, uh, Azora throws some rupees off the top of a waterfall, and you have to dive and get the rupees in a time limit. Right. And... It was like searching for a needle in a haystack because you swim and then you hit a button to dive and you hopefully grab rupees. And I recorded like two hours trying to pass that little game and I think I edited it down to like a minute. Oh, man. (laughs) And every time I play, that game takes me so long. (laughs) I never would have expected that. I mean, that's just that it seems like something, um, you know, I just I never would have thought of that little piece. But, yeah, obviously that would have been would have been tricky. Right, and because uh, the rupees I'll, don't make any, you know, they don't make any set. Like you can't hear no, them like no. glimmering it's or anything. It, yeah. It's random generated where they land. It's not a. It's not. It's the same every time. So it's not a fixed point. They land in different nope. places every nope. time. And um, probably the water temple. The reason it, it wasn't as hard for me as other for other people mm-hmm. is because I was using walkthroughs and stuff to kind of figure out what to do in the game. Oh, a lot of the mystery of that temple was taken out, so I knew okay. what to expect. And that's what a lot of people is like, where do I go next? Yeah. But in the spirit temple, actually, um, bending the light with the mirror shield and trying to get it to bounce to different areas, the light would make a sound when it hit your shield, right. but um, I had to try to figure out how to aim it, and that was a difficult part. Okay, yeah, so trying to find, yeah, that's... Because yeah, that your target again doesn't make a sound. You're not. You don't know necessarily what direction you're supposed to be aiming it in. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's again something I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought twice about. But uh, yeah, I mean that was that's <laughs> really cool that you were able to uh, to overcome those obstacles uh, despite you know them not necessarily being completely uh, you know accessible. Well, thanks to Safe State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so uh, it, it took you, how long did it take you to, to finish? I know you said you took a little break, but how long um, did it take you to finish the challenge? Uh, five years. Five years. Yep. 
that's from from beginning and that's including the break i took right right but that's i mean that's still um you know anybody would be um you know at would admire that that dedication how how did it feel at the end of that run when you finally um you defeat Ganon at the end and you escape the castle. Like, how did it feel to finally complete that challenge after all that time? Well, that's the funny thing is if you watch the video at the end, I go, after five years, I beat Legend of Zelda, Ocarina <laughs> of Time. I, I'm like so anticlimactic about it. It's like, <laughs> I didn't even care. But the thing to me was, I'm like, it's 2016. I just have one or two more videos. I just want to get that darn game done and post it to YouTube, and I'll never hear from anybody ever again. I'll never have to worry about it ever again. Boy, was I wrong. And here it, <laughs> and here it is. Everybody's calling you for an interview. and <laughs> Right, because to me it was just like, I'm done. I got it done. Now, now what? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and that was the next thing I wanted to ask you. Now what? You're, you, you, finished, you finished this five-year challenge. Um, are you... Uh, you know, are, is there another challenge you want to take on? Do you just want to play games more casually now? Um, kind of both. Yeah. Um, like right now, I'm doing a a walkthrough on my or let's play on my YouTube channel of Shades of Doom. Actually, because people were asking me how I learned to listen in a 3D world, so I'm actually going to do that game. Um, and actually, I posted the first one with, and it didn't have any video, of course, because it's a game for the blind. Right. But the response was great. Everybody enjoyed it, so I'm going to continue that. Um, the two games that most people were saying for me to do were Dark Souls and oh Majora's Mask. And that's the reaction I get from everybody about Dark Souls is they say it's a horrible game if you're sighted. And trying to save in that game, they say like a save fire might be a half an hour away, and you may die on the way there. Yeah, I mean, I, it, that, <laughs> that just seems like a cruel joke to me for people. To I think it's because of the popularity of the game right now. It's, it's super popular, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a game that, it, yeah, I mean, it tests, it tests yes, you. Yes. Um, but Majora's Mask is definitely the next on the list. Yes, uh, awesome. Let's plays I'm going to do, and everybody's excited about that. So. I'm I'm excited about that. I mean, I only recently discovered your YouTube channel based on you know all, all of the interviews and stuff you've been doing, but I will definitely tune in to watch those videos because um, that was that was one of my that's one of my favorite games of all time, and and to be able to see you take on that challenge that'll be that'll be really fun to watch. Yeah, and as I fi- that's what I'm doing with the Shades of Doom is kind of filling in that spot where I'm kind of learning the Majora's Mask game before I start videoing it and everything. So. Oh yeah, that's that's a good approach. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't want to, you know, just okay, hopping right in and just yeah, yeah, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a um, process to learn to play games now. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, do, so, do you uh, still play games um, more casually? Like, okay, I'm I'm not setting out necessarily to you know beat this game start to finish. Like, I just want to you know play a game for like ten or fifteen minutes. Um, Guitar Hero and Rock Band definitely are on that list because um, it has practice modes right. in a later installment, so I can actually play those games. Um, but like with my family, like we play Wii Sports sometimes, so I can play Wii Sports pretty good. Oh, wow. Okay, so, yeah. And that's usually with family and everything. But um, actually, uh, casual gaming, I really don't do a lot. Um I'm actually a really active person too outside of gaming. I do um I participate in CrossFit. Oh cool, yeah. So I'm actually a, a workout freak too. Um 
And actually, another another element I do well, on the Mac, more relaxed side of things is I actually do like crocheting and knitting and stuff like that. Awesome. So yeah, that's, that's more very... relaxing. Like I like doing the videos and stuff, video games, and doing the challenging. But there's definitely other things I do to fill in that fill my time as well. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, it's important to have other other priorities too. I can definitely relate to you on, on the on the workout front as well. Um, can't say I relate to you on the knitting and crocheting though, but I can understand how. Um, something like that that's more tactile uh, yeah. is well, appealing. I only found it about six months ago, and I found that I'm really, I really enjoy it. And I'm good at it. So fantastic, man! That's that's great. Um, so uh, your your story, like I like I've mentioned a few times in the interview, it's it's garnered a lot of attention. Um, I think I originally found it on Reddit, but then I think Polygon or maybe Polygon or Kotaku picked it up, and then I actually saw it on Vox, which I have never seen them cover anything gaming related right Um, uh, i read that site all the time for news and public policy and politics and stuff and all of a sudden i saw it on vox i was like oh my gosh like that people you know people outside of gaming are finding out about you um and then then people come to me it's like did you know you were on this site did you know you were here i'm like no i didn't (laughs) did you know you were on vox no Wow. I didn't know I was on Vice or Eurogamer or Polygon or Vice or MSN. I didn't know if I was on any of those until someone told me. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So what, how, how has that felt? I mean, how is that? You said you've done a few interviews. Like what? Um, and obviously, you're, and two, your, your YouTube videos were popular before you finished the, the, um, you know, your challenge. But how, um, how has it been to receive this kind of feedback? Uh, well, to me, it's just... Um, it, it's cool to be popular in the cyber community, but uh, the ultimate goal behind these is to inspire people. Yeah. So that's why I hope to do other ones besides just gaming, like workouts and maybe hiking ones and stuff like that to reach a, a bigger audience. Yeah. Um, actually, when I took my break, um, the two-year break, I actually did lose quite a bit of my audience. So, But this actually helped me get them back by completing this game, so that's why I want to definitely do more videos now. So. Yeah, and I think your your audience has has probably grown exponentially. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people are are excited to uh, to see you take on Majora's Mask, and uh, I definitely want to check out that video of the Shades of Doom too. Yeah, it's the latest video I posted. So if you um, search for uh, True Blind uh, Shades of Doom, it should come up. Okay, and is that okay? So uh, I'm going to post your uh, YouTube account in the show notes so everybody can check it out. What's your uh, your account name on YouTube? It's a Mega T Garrett, so M E G A T and G A R R E T T. Really simple. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll make sure to post that in the show notes so people can can check out these videos and some of the earlier ones, so they can they can get an idea of, of what your setup looks like, and then um, you know watch you complete the challenge, and then you know watch see what you got coming up next: hiking or, or workout videos or. Uh, or playing through Majora's Mask, I, I really do. I, I have to say, um, you know, it's really noble in your goal that you want to inspire people. And I definitely, as somebody um, even who just has low vision, who's who's not you know completely blind, you've definitely uh, inspired me, and it's, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So uh, I can say, you know, personally, I really appreciate what you've done. Oh, excellent! I appreciate that. Cool, man. Well. Um, uh, that's that's uh, all I, I I really wanted to um, to ask you. I really pre- appreciate you coming on the show and and, and sharing your story with me. And um, you know, I, I wish you all the best in in your gaming and non gaming crocheting adventures. Yep. <laughs> 
Um, all right, man. Well, well, thanks for coming on. And um, I, uh, like I said, I wish you the best. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Terry. Thank you.